Welcome to Near Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. Today we have three anonymously submitted near death experiences, not submitted to this website, but submitted to ions.org. So these can be found there, uh, the dates being January 23rd, uh, 2002. All three were submitted on, on that day. Um, and so these are ones that we don't know who it was that had this experience, but I consider, and they're short, they're all very short, but uh, I consider each and every near-death experience um, account as something of a data point, meaning that every little bit of information that's given either confirms things that we've heard before and therefore solidifies that that is a common element, or it presents something new that uh, sheds a little more light on the subject. So, and, and admittedly, these data points in for me, are just in my head. I don't have a count to say, well, so far out of, you know, 4,600, there have been, you know, 2,000 whatever tunnel experiences and whatever. I don't have anything like that, but I do consider that with each account, the things that are mentioned are a little bit more emphasized in my mind. So if over and over you find accounts of, of the abyss, the, um, uh, the void, if you will, then uh, I start to make note that, okay, this is a very likely thing to happen for most people. Whereas if it's only 5%, then if I'm talking to somebody about death and they're saying, you know, well, what happens when we die? What does it feel like? What is the experience? Rather than having to go into all of the grand possible details I can give them a, a quick summation of, of the uh, uh, things that happen the most often and then expand from there if they want to hear more. So all of this I consider data points. Okay, this first one, this is like a level one and a half maybe in detail level. I mean, they just, just like, wait a minute, wait a minute, but, uh, but very uh, profound experience, no question about it. So here we go. I was in hospital due to getting shocky from loss of blood through internal bleeding. Doctors checked me out and then felt that I was less in less critical shape than other patients with knife wounds, etc. Suddenly I felt that I was swooshing up through my head towards a blinding light. From above their heads I could see doctors and nurses yelling, Code Blue! and surrounding me, and I could see them working on me. In the light, I felt very peaceful. I seemed to be in a field or on some or on a hillside, and I felt wonderful in the bright light. I did not hear a voice, but suddenly felt as though I was being offered a choice to stay or return and watch my son grow up. I thought, oh yes, I want to see my son grow up. And then I was sliding back quickly into the darkness. I did not know what to think about it all, and did not tell my wife for about a year when I saw an article describing near-death experiences and I recognized some of it as what I had been through. That's the end of that experience. So there you go. So you've got this um, swooshing, uh, you know, through the head. Okay, there's something about through the head. Some people say they come through the chest, but more often it seems they come through the head uh, toward a blinding light. So there's the light. They don't specifically seem to mention a tunnel, 
but rushing toward the light still. And standing over their body or, you know, they could have rushed away and still been able to see from a great distance these doctors. It's, it's not clear whether this is one of those situations or whether it is a uh, multi-attention thing or whatever, multi-location thing. It's unclear, but they did see the doctors shouting code blue and starting to work on them. And the feeling of being light and peaceful. And then there is a field or a hillside. It's kind of interesting they say field or on a hillside. As if they're either not clear or maybe they saw both and didn't know which it was. or <laughs> you know, But uh, felt wonderful at the bright light, they said. I did not hear a voice, but suddenly felt as though I was being offered a choice to stay or to go back and watch my son grow up. And of course they chose to go back to see their son grow up. Very little detail, but the de but the you know things that are given to us are really firm, you know, things that you hear often. Okay. Second near death experience also anonymous. Surgery related experience. Air tube was removed to too soon, and vocal cords closed. Body was still paralyzed due to the curare. Curare? Curare? Oxygen supply was absent for five to six minutes before resuscitation. Heart had stopped beating also. First waking thought was the amount of pain I was in and the fact that I could not move. Next thought was the anger I felt because I was back in my body and didn't want to be. I wanted to go back home. That is the way I felt about being on the other side. There are no words in our language to describe the emotions and feelings that come from the other side. The closest I can get to describe it to someone is to say, it is like going home and I have been away a long time. Now multiply these emotions of returning home by 10 and you might come close to the description of what I felt on the other side. I don't remember lights or tunnels, just the presence of what is on the other side. There were no, there were not visuals, just the knowledge that I had somewhat of a choice to make. I could stay on the other side or return and finish what I had agreed to do in this lifetime. I felt like I was reminded strongly of what I had to do. I was angry about coming back, but made the choice to do so. Something like get, sending an angry child to its room for, for, with the remainder of the promise that they made to clean it up. The child goes to the clean, but, or goes to clean the room, but not real happy about doing it. This feeling stayed with me for about two years after my near-death experience. Then, as the years started to go by, by the knowledge of why I agreed to start uh, to stay, started unfold. Okay, wait. Then, as the years started to go by, the knowledge of why I agreed to stay started unfolding, and it is still unfolding 20 years after the near-death experience. The memories of that time are the same and have never changed. Because of what I experienced 20 years ago, I've been able to help other people before they passed over, and it has helped me to deal with the loss of close family members leaving this world. That's the end of that experience. Also a very low uh, detail level. In fact, it's, 
it almost sounds as if they didn't remember their experience. They just remembered immediately coming back angry that they'd been sent back um, and remembered the feelings. But uh, there's no real details given. Um, and that may be the case. I suspect that uh, that kind of a near-death experience is probably probably even slightly more common than a near-death experience. I'm totally guessing here. But uh, the fact that somebody can have such a profound experience, knowing they don't want to come back, but not actually remembering any details from it, that just shows the strength of the veil that's placed over our minds. And, and it's unclear whether the uh, memories are always suppressed intentionally or whether it is just, you know, you might remember, you might not kind of a thing. Certainly there are some instances where they are intentionally uh, suppressed because the person is told now, this is important for you to know, but you're not going to remember it when you go back. And then they just have this kind of blank out time where they just don't remember what happens after that moment. Um, so we know that the memories are sometimes taken, but whether they, it's intended that everyone who forgets a near-death experience, um, whether it's intended that they do or not, is unclear uh, for the most part. Okay. Um, oh, I did want to say about this one, it's kind of interesting how they say, now to multiply these emotions of returning home by 10, and you might come close to the description they felt. It's interesting the numbers, the multiplication uh, na numbers that are used by people. Uh, you know, it's like 10 times brighter than the sun. Some say a thousand times, you know, brighter than the sun. Some say a million times brighter than the sun. Basically, what they're saying is way brighter than you can imagine. You know, it, it could be that some are seeing it brighter than others. I don't know. And based on the different kind of glories, the different kind of uh, uh, vibrations and so forth that people uh, go to the other side in they probably do have very different levels of brightness so you know i'm certainly not going to say that this person got a lower level or anything but it's just interesting hearing the different descriptions how people say you know this times a million times a million times a million million you know <laughs> as if we can actually you know put numbers on it obviously we can't but they're trying and we're so grateful that they're trying because since this is such an ineffable experience, so difficult to describe, we depend on those who have had the experiences to do the best they can. Because the rest of us, we just can't uh, know without hearing it from them. It's interesting also that they said that uh, the anger that they felt for having returned, it took about two years to get over that. Um, that's a long time to suffer with an emotion. Uh, especially a negative one like that. But uh, it shows you the impact that these things have. I mean, as nice as it would be to be able to, you know, snap our fingers and be able to go into a near-death experience and then be able to return safe and healthy, um, it, there's more to it than that. It's not just the uh, physical brokenness that, um, you know, makes it hard for people to return. It's, it's often the uh, being somewhere so incredible and having to leave it, even if it is only for a time. Anyway, next experience, also anonymous. I was in a deep sleep. 
I'd guess about 2 a.m., when I heard my dog bark softly as he rested, just outside my bedroom window. I'd not been dreaming. The noise, or the bark of my dog, it didn't startle me or frighten me, but it did awaken me. I remained perfectly still and listened to see if the dog would bark again or go after something. Nothing else was heard. I then became aware that although my body was totally relaxed, even numb, I was completely alert. I could have raised up and gotten out of bed at that moment if I had chosen to do so, but as I listened quietly for possible other sounds from my dog, I noticed a light feeling in the mid-sternum region. It felt really good, so I allowed this feeling to continue. Within a few seconds, I was lifting or coming out of my chest. It was the most incredible feeling of well-being that I've ever experienced. I kept saying over and over to myself, I can't believe this feels so good. A few seconds later, I lifted out of my body, my chest, turned and drifted up into the corner of my bedroom. As I looked back, I could see both my wife and myself lying in the bed. I tried to make scientific types of observations because I appreciated the event taking place was something out of the ordinary. I didn't see, smell, or hear anything else but uh, else unusual, but I asked myself a couple of times in succession, how can I be doing this? The answer was too obvious. I must be dead, I told myself. My eyes looked intensely at my chest to see if I could see it move with respirations. The room was not completely dark, and in fact, there was a lot of light because of the bed being next to the window, and the moon must have been full. I could not see my chest move, so I panicked and seemed to dive back towards my chest. I felt myself turn and start to back inside my body, or chest. This is when I heard a noise, which surprised me, but a noise I can describe. The sound was that of two, let's see, two tuning forks of the same frequency being brought together. It was a high-pitched, resonating sound. I immediately sat up and got out of bed. I had not been dreaming. I had not taken any medication and had not been drinking. I awakened my wife and scared her with the story of what I had just happened, and I told everyone at work the next day until I started to get some funny looks. I've since, I've since clammed up. I know how to do this again and have done so a couple of times voluntarily, but have decided not to unless I can look back at monitors such as through an ECG pulse oximeter to allow me to know that I'm all right. That's the end of the experience. This is an interesting one. And this is one that, you know, I... There are aspects of near-death research where there are different, you know, things um, such as, you know, speaking to a medium or, or you know, uh, special... Many of the special gift kind of things that people have for communicating with the other side... Um, astral travel being one of them, and this is an example of what I think would qualify as astral travel. Now, if you haven't heard of astral travel, it's the idea of the spirit or consciousness leaving the body and traveling or, you know, whatever, and then returning to the body. 
generally done either voluntarily or as a accidental result of you know deep sleep or meditation or you know something where um, the person is in a deep rela- deeply relaxed state almost hip- hypnotic type state now uh, you know how better to set up for this than um, to sleep at night I mean you know this is this is the idea anyway and astral travel is one of the aspects of this whole field of study that I'm still somewhat skeptical about. Not about the idea of the possibility of leaving the body, but I'm a little bit skeptical about the oftenness of it taking place. Many of the people who describe astral travel, um, they definitely have an experience. I have no doubt of it. But the question is whether it really is their spirit leaving the body or whether it is some kind of dream. And one of the reasons I say this is because I have had a few experiences that may potentially qualify as astral travel, but uh, not, I I don't think they quite fit. And um, if you look up astral travel, you know, you'll find all kinds of bizarre things, you know, and, and people getting trapped in an orange or something, you know, and you're like, what? You know, I don't know how to uh, explain any of that. And I don't try because I'm, again, I'm not completely convinced that most of the time this is exactly what's happening. I, I am convinced that there are people who, during sleep, leave their body and have a near-death experience of sorts. That seems um, very likely, in fact, uh, not very often, of course, but uh, so there probably is that that happens. But as far as the uh, as being regular astral travel, as it's often described out there, I have my doubts. Now, I would be interested to hear from some of you that have experience with this, especially here's who I would really like to hear from, especially somebody who has had a near-death experience who has also experienced astral travel, like willing astral travel or night astral travel, something like that, and is also a fairly regular lucid dreamer. And let me tell you why I would like to see, I would like all three to be the case if possible. Because um, I have lucid dreamed for years, which lucid dreaming is dreaming while your mind is awake, at least awake enough to be able to think rationally to 90%, let's just say, and uh, and everything being very, very vivid and so forth. I've had this for years where probably average of once a week, maybe I'll have a lucid dream. Now, once I started studying near-death experiences, actually after, in my near-death studies, I came across this idea of astral travel, and I'm like, what's an, what is astral travel? You know, I'd heard of astral body used in near-death experiences as a way of describing the spirit in the body, and so I was like, astral travel, I'm not familiar with this term, so I looked it up. All these stories, I don't want to say crazy stories, because people are obviously having some kind of experience, whether it be a lucid dream experience, uh, an out-of-body experience, whatever. But anyway, 
um, after I started studying these things, all of a sudden, for the next several months, all my lucid dreams were of me waking up in my bed. And, uh, and so I'd wake up in my bed, lucid dreaming, and I'd recognize it from some of the sensations in my body, or whatever it is, astral body, I don't know. <laughs> but this vibrational sensation that feels like my whole body is just, it's almost like it feels electrical, like there's something just, it feels powerful, yet it feels, it feels kind of like this just cool sensation, almost like I'm, almost like I'm vibrating. I don't know how else to describe it, but uh, uh, that's common in my lucid dreams, and my lucid dreams um, have been anywhere from fun to bizarre to frightening to, you know, as the gamut goes as far as dreams are concerned. I've had every different kind of dream, every different kind of, uh, of lucid dream, okay? I'm, a, I'm also a very vivid dreamer uh, normally, uh, one that remembers dreams when I try. Um, but uh, so this lucid mindset I have come to recognize and in my you know being in my bed and feeling this vibrational sensation come on me I even had once that I sat up and tried to look back I didn't totally get out of my body if you will but I tried to look back and there was like I could see my head still on the pillow but it was almost like it was it was uh fluctuating in and out of existence or something you know it was like somehow and and so I'm like okay that's just weird and I laid back down and and, uh ended up waking up well and and I've had other times where I've gotten up and stood up and then looked back and I'm not in my bed there's you know my bed's empty other than my wife there so I'm like well I know that I'm dreaming so or or that I'm having this sensation that I don't have in my waking life. And so I know I'm either dreaming or, you know, if I'm astral traveling, then where's my body? And so it, and and plus I've tried to, a couple of the times that I woke up, um, not woke up, but, you know, woke up with this vibrational sensation and gone out of the room. And I went and checked on my daughters um, who were in bunk beds and I went and I looked at the positions they were in, in their beds, so that I could hurry and wake myself up and then go and check and see if they were, uh, with the idea that if they're in those same positions, then clearly I was there and I saw it, you know, and it is astral travel, if you will, quote unquote. Um, but when I went and I looked, they were in opposite beds to each other. I mean, the the younger one was on the top, or was on the bottom bunk, the older one on the top and in the in the dream it was flipped and they were in different positions and so forth and so and so that told me no this is a dream it's a lucid dream because it feels very real but uh anyway this is a weird subject to go off on with near-death experiences but i do think it's important because it is something that comes up and when when you start studying near-death experiences and you come across this it's nice to have some kind of uh, context to be coming from, something that you've heard about, something that you've considered. And here's my take 
on at least some of what I think people feel like are astral travel experiences. Okay, as we go about our lives, as we walk to and from everywhere we go, okay, our mind takes note of every image we see, of every situation uh, that we come across, and uh, and in essence, it's being stored away in some deep recesses of our subconscious mind. Okay, we know that from hypnosis that you can draw out memories that you've long forgotten or details that you didn't have and so forth. So there's something in that deep subconscious that is taking notes all the time of everything we see. And what I consider is that we are constantly creating this mental Google map of the earth, okay, with, uh, you know, everything that we have seen, as well as being filled in with some assumptions, some incorrect information, obviously, as we think things that aren't true, like over that mountain, there's a valley, there should be, whatever. Whereas maybe if you were to fly over it, you might find there's not actually a valley, it's actually deeper forest or whatever. Anyway, um, point is, I think we've got this mental Google map. And sometimes, sometimes in our dreams, especially if we're avid lucid dreamers, it's, I think it's possible to walk the earth using that Google map that we've been creating all our lives. And I think that may be an ex explanation for at least some of the astral travel that people experience. Now, I don't want to, if somebody is having genuine, you know, out-of-body experiences in a spiritual state, I certainly am not going to say, no, that's not real, and so forth. But that just provides an alternative view for that. Because as it is, I'm not I'm not saying that astral travel doesn't exist. I, I, I don't know. I think it probably does to some extent. I'm, I'm just thinking that maybe it doesn't happen as often as people maybe think it does. Um, that it's maybe this lucid Google map dream um, for most people. I don't know. But um, again, I'm open to hear more about this. I'm curious what you guys think. And, uh, and far be it from me to tell you your experience isn't real. You know, only you would know that. Uh, this this is just my experiences with, with, not intentional. Astral travel, if you will, but you know, finding myself in that situation, I'm like, hmm, this might be a good opportunity to learn if there's anything to this. And so far, I haven't found anything to it besides dreaming. Now, I think there is a place for that we could discuss dreaming, for its own sake, and and the. Uh, power and usefulness of dreams as it relates to our lives and so forth. I think that's a fascinating subject and I love talking about that. But that's that's my point is that um, it's, it's hard for me to take uh, a lot of stock into this. That said, this experience as um, they talk about it, it sounds it sounds legitimately like an out-of-body experience. And I suspect it probably is for one of one of the reasons a green flag to me is that high pitch resonating sound they uh they hear this this ringing and they're like what is that and while they don't really figure out what it is they hear this sound the reason that's a green flag to me is because 
when many are having a near-death experience, they describe the sound of a bell ringing. And when you ask them more detail about that, they usually say it's not that there's like this, these chimes um, ringing, dong, 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 dong. They say it's more like somebody hit the bell right before my experience started and I came in to hear this ringing and that ringing continues and whether it rings indefinitely or whether it fades out is unclear they they don't usually specify but i like the description that they give they said they says i i couldn't explain the noise or they said the, the noise surprised them but they can describe it and it was the sound of two tuning forks of the same frequency being brought together now as a music and sound geek I love this because I know what he's talking about. I know that uh, pitch. Not that I've heard it in any kind of experience, but I've heard tuning forks. And if you were to ding two at the same time, there would be a bit of a dissonance, or they'd be slightly off from each other, so you'd hear a little bit of a uh, throbbing of sorts, the, 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 the kind of a sound that would and it would get faster and faster to a buzz and then finally it would make this this even perfect beautiful resonating ring um, and the reason for that is because the two pitches are coming together and as they get closer to the same pitch and the reason they're they're not precise when you hit them is because with all of the uh little sound geekness here, I'm sorry. Um, as the the forks are bending, if you could watch it in slow, super slow motion and magnified, you would see it throbbing like a wave. And each of these waves are acting like smaller independent forks, causing um, sounds that we call overtones, which, you know, if you pluck a string or you sing near a piano, um, you can you can get this effect um, where if you pluck a string, for example, not only is it playing the note that that string is, but it's also at the halfway point, it starts flipping back and forth in something of a wave fashion, causing it to also make the sound of half of the string twice, which would be an octave higher. And so you would have this ba and also this ba sound at the same time and as the uh as the string slows down a little bit and becomes softer it becomes it begins to resonate pretty much only its own sound or at least that's audibly all you can hear at that point so this tuning forks coming together is she's they said uh the sound was that as tuning forks of the same frequency being brought together so it's like there's this little bit of dissonance and then they come together into this perfect you know resonant sound stereo sound if you will something like that anyway sorry to geek out too much on, on that but i just found it interesting and it puts a little data point on the sound uh this you know one of the sounds of heaven or, or of the spirit world or of leaving the body or whatever it is and um hearing it described as tuning forks gives a little bit of a context there. Uh, some people have said they hear chimes and 
some people say it's like chimes that, you know, that just keep ringing and don't stop. Anyway, so if you would like to contact the podcast, either leave a comment or to uh, share your own experience or to ask a question, you can do so by emailing neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail.com. You can uh, comment on the site itself, neardeathexperiencepodcast.org. And you can also call 970-NDE-CAST. And if you have access to iTunes, please leave a review, an honest review. You know, even a bad review will do more good for the podcast than not doing anything, simply because it does work iTunes algorithms to allow it to be better seen by other people. That's just a way to help. Another way you can help to spread the word is if there's a particular episode that stands out as something that might touch someone, it might be a great way to help them in a difficult time that they may be having, or in a struggle, or in a fear, or in a mourning that they may be having for someone that they love. So with that, thank you, all of you, so much for listening.